0: Welcome to a special documentary, The Hunt for Raoul Mote, When Gaza Called. I'm Mickey Welsh. I'm going to be taking you behind the scenes of a story so weird and wild. So if it hadn't been played out live on Metro Radio, you wouldn't have believed it happened.
1: Well, i just going court. some chicken, some bread, I bought him a can of order, Because I know he wouldn't shoot me. I know he did something wrong. He, he made do his jets. Listen, as far as I'm concerned, the guy is a nice guy.
0: Just how did, arguably, England's greatest ever footballer end up at the scene of a manhunt for a murderer? What did he do when he got there, and what happened after? All will be revealed in the coming minutes with the help of some of my former colleagues at Metro Radio. Before this, though, let's add some background. In the summer of 2010, a man called Raoul Mote was to become the most wanted fugitive in the UK. With help from accomplices, he planned an attack on his ex-girlfriend and then launched a vendetta against Northumbria police. The story starts on the 3rd of July 2010 in a very quiet street in Birtley called Scarfell. It's in the Vigo area. It looks onto a grassy field where, during the daytime, kids are playing and dog walkers are stretching their pets' legs. But in the early hours of that Saturday, Mutt was crouching under the open window of a living room. Inside was his ex, Samantha Stobbard, and her new partner, Chris Brown. Mutt, who'd only just been released from Durham jail on the 1st of July, two days earlier, claims they were mocking him. Just before three in the morning, Brown left the property to confront Moat, but he was shot at close range with a shotgun and killed. Moat then fired through the living room window. He hit his ex in the stomach and the arm. Samantha Stobart needed a liver operation to save her life. She was placed under armed guard at the Kiwi Hospital and Gated, and a manhunt for Raoul Moat was underway. A reporter for Metro Radio at the time was Joel Goldman. He remembers the day very
2: well. Well, it was a strange one, really, for me, Mickey, because uh, when the initial news broke, I was actually on a stag do and was completely oblivious to the whole situation. But as it was the weekend, we had a freelance reporter on called Dave Donaldson and Dave rang me and said, Joel, do you want me to get to this press conference about the shooting in Birtley? And I said, what shooting in Birtley? And then he filled me in on what had happened. And I was like, oh, that sounds pretty serious. So, yeah, you should probably get down there. We couldn't have predicted at that time that that was just the start of what was going to be the most intense week I've ever had at work.
0: Well, nearly 22 hours later, Moat was going to target his next victim. It's believed the gunman held a grudge against Northumbria police after his ex lied about being in a relationship with a police officer PC David Rathbound was sitting in his patrol car near East Denton in the early hours of July the 4th when he was shot twice in the face by moat. An officer was shot in the early hours of this morning. He was carrying out a static patrol on a roundabout. He was shot through the windscreen uh, into the face and chest. He's now in hospital in a critical but stable condition. David Rathbound was permanently blind. Tragically two years later he took his own life. Then a breakthrough. The car, believed to have been used by Moach, was sighted and found near Rothbury on the 6th of July. Rothbury is a quiet market town in Northumberland. Around 3,000 people live there. It's about 25 miles outside of Newcastle. Northumbria police believe Moach was hiding in the countryside. They even found a tent which he used. Moach had left a letter to his ex and again stated his hatred for Northumbria police. Former Metro Radio reporter Kelly Pegg was dispatched quickly to Rothbury. You've just got to be there because that's the only way, really, You can truly get a feel for what's going on, talk to people there. You know, when you're in the scene of something and it's live, there's nothing like that from a journalist reporter point of view. I was in my late 20s then and not a mum. I don't remember having any fear. It was just about getting that story. What was the general feeling in Rothbury about the fact that this manhunt was taking place where they were? They were frightened. He was unstable and nobody quite knew what was going on with him. And so therefore, you know, everybody probably felt like their lives were at risk. I think initially, I think they were just very petrified, really frightened, you know, and in disbelief really that it happened where they were this beautiful place that's very picturesque and quiet. Well, as you can probably hear from my voice now, I am outside. It's because I'm going to head to Dunstan in Gated, that's where Gaza originally came from, and I'm going to speak to a man who was integral in this story about how Paul Gascoigne phoned Metro Radio News. But before that, when I get in the car, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the background of the Rowanwood manhunt. Yes, yeah, so Moat was still evading officers, and on the 8th of July, police announced that two men were arrested in Rothbury. They turned out to be Moat's accomplices. At their trial at a later date, Carl Mess was given a life sentence with a minimum term of 40 years, and Kuran Arwan was given a 20-year tariff. On the 9th of July, police reported that they'd recovered three mobile phones used by Moat, and the search intensified further. Residents in Rothbury later that evening were told to stay indoors because Moats had been surrounded by police. A cordon was set up, Moats was holding a shotgun to his own head.
1: There is a negotiation going on between uh, the two parties, Raoul Moat on one side carrying his uh, a weapon to his throat and the police on the other side. Then for no
0: apparent reason, Paul Gascoigne arrived at the scene. He claimed to know Raoul Moat and he offered to bring him chicken and lager in an attempt to convince him to surrender. By that time, the news team at Metro Radio were told not to go to Rothbury for their own safety. But one man from Metro Radio who did is our former events manager, Kenny D. He knew Rothbury well, and he got to the scene to give 15 minute updates to the news. And he was there when Gaza turned up. He tells us about that infamous phone call, how it came about, and what happened next.
3: I went round the back to a place where I knew I could see through the trees and stuff so I could see the whole thing like in front of me and then of course Gaza pulls up in a taxi I've been mates with Gaza since he was 14 I said what are you doing here Paul and he says I've come to help him I've got a chicken and he had a chicken wrapped up in silver foil and then he said I haven't got any money Kenny so I had to pay the taxi driver £60 and I'm talking to him and I'm thinking at the time I was on the phone to Metro anyway I went right look Gaza's just pulled up I'll let him tell you what he's just told me And then Gaza come up with that whole infamous speech now and saying, Moti won't shoot me, he'll be all right, I'll give him some therapy and stuff
0: like that. And I'm thinking, is this really happening? When you're standing there and you've got arguably one of England's greatest footballers ever on one side, and then you've got a murderer on the other with a shotgun to his head, what is it like to be standing there in that exact moment?
3: It's actually quite scary, because Gaza non-Gaza at any point, he would do a stupid thing and he could run in there. It
0: was just scary as hell. So the next day, your Gazza's mate, you've known him since he was 14. Did you give him a ring?
3: I did. I was trying to be apologetic because I thought to myself, have I sold you out a bit, Gazza here? So I thought I'd ring him and just apologise. So I said, look, Paul, I'm, I'm really sorry about last night at Rosbury." And then he just come back and he said,
0: was that Rosbury last night? He could not remember a thing. When you look back on it, this is now 13 years later, what's your thoughts on the Gaza infamous call?
3: In a way you're quite sad. He has someone who just wants to help, someone he thinks is just in trouble and hasn't, in his eyes, done anything wrong. But obviously he had. So that whole call was a bit like, that's Gaza, he's a lovely lad, not thinking for a second that this is going to go worldwide.
0: I'm sure we'll all agree there was a pretty remarkable insight to the night that Paul Gascoigne spoke to Metro Radio News. The person who took that call from Gaza was my former colleague in the newsroom, Joel Goldman. I've been catching up with him on a Zoom call.
2: <laughs> uh, I, I laugh when I think about it because just when you thought it couldn't turn any more surreal, it just went Bonkers. Got a call from, from Kenny D. Uh, and he said, Joel, I'm in Rothbury and Gazza's here. And I said, You what? Gazza, Paul Gascoigne. He said, Yeah, he's down at the scene in Rothbury. And he said, Do you want to speak to him? And I said, Yeah, okay. And I just hit record. And then Gazza just launched into his now infamous tirade about the Canalaga a fishing rod, a bucket of chicken, a towel. Uh, The one thing that I remember, and you have to excuse the accent, is um, that he said, and I just want to go down and talk to him and say, Moti, it's Gaza.
1: I didn't know come here for a publicity stunt, right? Just to let the public know. I'm sitting there, I bored. I felt sorry for him because he's been a good friend of mine. And then I decided to get him a dressing gown, a jacket, uh, some food... And I was going to walk through the the hills with all all my stuff for him, and start shouting his name. I would lay like him to talk to me, just me and him, one on one chat. And if he goes to jail, I'll go to jail and visit him a, few, a couple of times a month. Well, I don't want him to end his life because he's a great bloke. All I want to do is speak to him, and I guarantee, I think I'm the only guy that he will talk to.
0: If it happens now. It would be number one trending on Twitter it would be all over the world. but even back then 13 years ago, it was all over the world. At what point did you realize you know what that's gonna be something that's talked about for the rest of my life
2: From the moment the Gaza started speaking and made no sense. Just the stuff he was coming out with everybody knows now you know people recite it and people still make the joke now. If something happens that everyone says, oh, I wonder if Gaza's going to go down there with a fishing rod and a can of lager and a bucket of chicken. The nature of what he was saying was just so far removed from what was a really serious situation that you just knew that it was going to be something huge. But that's, you know, that's what you live for as a journalist, really.
0: Understandably, Gaza was denied entry to the scene by police. He ended up being driven home that night by a photographer. Then, at approximately quarter past one in the morning on the 10th of July, it was reported that shots, or a shot, had been fired at the standoff. After nearly six hours, Moat was shot with an experimental wireless long-range electric shock weapon. Moat then shot himself in the head. He was later pronounced dead at Newcastle General Hospital. Following an inquest, it was ruled by a jury that Moat's death was suicide and Northumbria police were found to have been at no fault. So there you have it, that's the story, the hunt for Raoul Moat when Gaza called. Quite remarkable. Thank you very much to my guests, Joel Goldman, Kelly Pegg, and Kenny D.